DEI test with Eric and Brady. We've got uh, another fabulous guest today. Uh, we're going to talk about sports from a little bit different perspective with me as a photographer, Brady as a writer. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. All right, well, welcome back to the eye test. Um, Eric, I'm sitting here with Brady and we got a, a guest with us today from, you're in Philly, right? Philadelphia, yeah. Z? Um, yeah. and tell me if I make sure I don't pronounce your name wrong. It's a Zamani feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I, which has to be like the single coolest name in photography. Oh telling yeah. You. I guess it kind of, uh, <laughs> people still always think it's like a, a business name and they're like, can, can you, if you tell me your real name so I can make it out on this payment, I'm like, no, that's my real name. That's my real name. Still the best, <laughs> the, the, the best name, name in the business, I think. So, uh, Zamani is the... Uh, for lack of a better term, the the official photographer for Temple University, uh, athletics At, for, for for Temple University athletics, yeah. right? And you've been with them for how long now? Uh, well, I, I shot my first game there in 2012, but um, I've been working as a contractor there for around. I guess I started in 2015, 2016, right? So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, well, for a couple reasons. One, I want to talk a little bit of photography with you okay. and, and different approaches to things. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have talked a lot online about, yes. um, about, about different things in sports photography and, and the different approaches to getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're mostly on board with most things. We Just like anybody else, we have different, different ideas and approaches to things. Right. Um, but also I wanted to talk um, – talk to you a little bit about your impressions of matt rule obviously that's uh it's a big thing for us around here and you were there right it you just you were just starting your career when he was when he was doing his thing there right yeah so i came uh my first the first game i shot was 2013 actually and i believe that was his first year um as a head coach there and that was when the team was um he had just gotten the job it was his first uh, head coaching job, I believe, um, or at least at that at that level of the sport, and the team was, you know, being built up from the ground basically. Uh, but that particular team ended up being, uh, what most would argue is the best team that they have ever had at Temple University. Right. Um, right. Made the most accomplishments. We had the most fans. Uh, that his recruits ended up being. Um, the largest pool of uh, players that went into the NFL. I was gonna, I was just going to say he sent a ton. By the time he left, he sent quite a few players into oh, the NFL. Oh yeah, uh, in the twenties, maybe close to thirty. Yeah, you know, um, uh, well, in total that we had, but I would say 85 percent of those were Matt Rule right. uh, recruits. That's mm-hmm. nice. That speaks a lot for him. Now, I've always been a um, a big believer that. Uh, Photographers in general, I'll just speak mm-hmm. in general here, are really good um, people watchers and right. and observing and observing things about people mm-hmm. um, just by nature of what we do for a living and and how mm-hmm. we look at the world. So I wanted to kind of get your your impressions of Matt and how he interacted with with everybody, not just players, not just recruits, but but parents and and colleagues and and fellow coaches and even staffers and and you know mm-hmm. people like you because I think as a whole you can get a good you can get a good read on people by by how they treat other people. 
Right. Well, I, I didn't get to interact with him on a personal level as much. Um, I mostly, and during his time period, I wasn't actively involved in the locker rooms and right and, and over with the actual team. So I just got to see him with uh, interact with the uh, players on the field mostly. Um, sometimes the parents at some of like cherry and white games, and just but also to see the effect that he had on the on the actual players um, in terms of their performance. And uh, he seemed to be like the ultimate mixture of a player's coach and in a traditional tough coach. Um, he definitely believed very much in toughness. Um, he was definitely bonded to his players. He had all of them were pretty much um, bought into to his philosophy of uh, play. And um, what can I say about him? He just had an approach that he seemed to really believe in. And he was able to get the players to buy into him. The other thing about him, uh, he's able to to see talent. Uh, a lot of the players that we had that we came in, that he ended up being in the NFL. Um, one of them who ended up, uh, he's at the Eagles now. I think he was the highest paid defensive person there now, Hassan Reddick. He was a walk-on. Um, and he was able to, to, to take guys that might have been two or three uh, star players and bring them in and develop their talent. But also to see their ideal position. Some of them came in at, you know, as happens at most places um, with the idea that they will be playing one position and he switched them to something that ended up taking them on into the league. But um, he was a really good recruiter and really um, good observer of, of innate talent and how to utilize it and develop it. Yeah, because it seems like that's one thing that he's kind of uh, talked a lot about um, has really stressed his role of is a, a developmental guy. Um, he now coming back from coaching in the NFL, he says, I, anybody can get you to the NFL, but I want to get you a second contract. I want to, and I want to make you a better person from the ground up is, do you obviously with his accomplishments of sending guys to the NFL, did you get the sense of there's a, there's also the, the people growth aspect of it coming in addition to coaching toughness and development accomplishments on the field. Oh yeah. He was a very big character guy. Um, he wouldn't baby any of his players that were, uh, the most accomplished or the guys that had the most talent or he needed the most. Um, so I, that was the thing feedback that I got from other players is that, um, he was pretty much across the board. He dealt with everybody fairly and he was very concerned with their character. Uh, and it's and how they uh, made the team look publicly and also with academics and everything. Like I said, I wasn't inter- intimately involved in that as much as I was with the coach who left, uh, who followed up for him. But um, that's the feedback and the things that I've heard uh, from other people. That's awesome. Other players, right? That's awesome. Well, that, that's still, it's good that it's good to hear from our perspective. It's good to hear that what he's saying here jives with with uh what people are saying from at least all the way back to temple yeah it was it's when i came to temple i had no experience with college sports at all i had never been to the first college game that i ever been to was the first one that i photographed i had never i had no experience with college so i didn't know anything about how any of it worked and i just happened to walk into a great period of time you know i mean the um two big games in 2015. I just got a 400 millimeter lens and the first game of the year was the Penn state game and Temple upset Penn state and they hadn't beat them in like 36 years or something like that. Right. And, uh, and then that same year and 
also we were at you know a couple plays at lincoln financial field the philadelphia eagle stadium and the stadium was full you know and i'm a new new to there so this is like amazing the stadium full stadium is college game day right and then we ended up beating uh, and then we played notre dame the same year same experience it was college game day again evening game we ended up losing but barely losing to them and um uh so it was it was amazing because this is when he the team was really on the ascent you know i believe his first season he didn't win any games next season i think he won maybe five or six and then after that we went like i think we won 10 or 11 and then we won the conference championship the next year and that's when he left to go to baylor right um so you know it was a really great period at the time in fact we haven't had the attendance uh record since he left uh the numbers are almost double um and for uh his that season their final season especially no the season before we won the conference championship but that was partly because we hosted penn state and, and notre dame but um they probably it was, brought in a few it fans was yeah crazy for us to be on espn college <laughs> like that twice in a year it was amazing right so it was a kind of for, for you personally it was kind of li- it's a little bit of a story to be in the right place at the right time yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, you can't just you can't just be right place at the right time. You also have to you also have to produce images. So right. Um, maybe we'll get a little bit into here about your approach when you pick up when you pick up the camera. Because I know um one of the things that we talked about when we were when I asked you to be on was that, mm-hmm. you know, not all sports photography is the same. Right. Right. Um what you as a as the official photographer for for Temple, has a slightly different approach than, say, I do when I pick up my camera to mm-hmm. cover Nebraska for an editorial outlet. Right. So, walk me through a little bit about um, you know when you when you show up for game day and 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 you put those cameras together and walk out on the field. What your what your approach is and what what you're looking for when you hit the field. Well, you know, it's different. Um, when I was initially started doing the Temple games, um, I was just getting access, you know, to shoot, and I was trying to build a portfolio. So I was just looking for the best images. I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes I shoot the other team, too. Right. Whatever, I was just trying to grab the best pictures. Uh, I didn't really have any real responsibilities other than just to produce some good, you know, um, images at the time. Uh, and then what, under... Later with Matt Rule, it was still basically the same, but I was on the university was you started using more of my pictures. So I was focused on Temple. I was focused on learning how to get the best images and just capturing action. The uh, after Rule, um, when I started becoming really closely involved with the team and everything like that, then I was more conscious of uh, photographing defense, making sure I get players, pictures of all the players on the field. Uh, making sure that I capture content from the sidelines, reaction, coaches. Um, I would get assignments to capture uh, different players. Uh, maybe the kicker or the punter was um, receiving the award. So when before, I might just not ignore that punter shot, you know, and, right. uh, and just keep walking away. I had to make try to get something interesting in him. So um, it just become, became more responsibility. So uh, given that I do all of the sports, I would say for the majority of the sports, I actually don't think I approach it any different than that in an editorial way because they just want to get good action pictures and celebrations um, for the most part. Uh, with football, uh, I'll do the studio portraiture and I do that for all of the teams. So that's something separate, but my approach is pretty much the, um, the same. Uh, 
all the different coaches that came that have either not cared about certain things in terms of imagery or have been really into involved in it and wanted certain things. So um, Coach Collins, who was here, he had a really um, he was really specific about images he wanted. So it was good because it challenged you to, to learn how to capture things in a certain way. Um, and then the coaches who followed him didn't really care about images at all, you know. Um, so, uh, but the athletics department, uh, for the most part, they just let me shoot and capture things how I normally capture things. And, so you um, get if they need particular players, they'll they'll reach out. You get, out a, for you get a lot of creative control there. So, yeah. with that being said, have an ultimate mm-hmm. creative control. What kind of things do you do? Now I'm asking you a loaded question that I already know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things do you do that that try to set you apart from other sports photographers? Uh, I guess my, I mean, I try to position myself. I mean, I think a lot of the times it's compositional things, you know, for the most part. So it's like positioning myself to try to get faces and eyes, um, trying to understand the tendencies of the team to place myself in a good position. Um, shooting lower angle stuff, you know I mean? So it's giving you perspective. So I would say it's mostly perspective and composition. Um, and then I will, uh, at times go after more off the uh, court content or off the field content, uh, you know, celebrations and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I feel like I just, it's, I just kind of stay in my style, which is, um, all right. I don't ever know if I can really define it or anything like that. I was going to, I was going to interested to see if you were going to have the words to define your style. Cause I, uh, no, I don't know. I know. I just, I, I kind of go after, um, I try to make a portrait, like an action portrait. There you go. You know, so I, try, I sort of photographed uh, sports like I would a, a portrait person because I started off as a portrait photographer at first before I didn't get into sports maybe uh, four years into after I had already started doing a lot of weddings and portraiture and everything. And I was never like a huge sports guy like that either. Right. So, so walk walk me through because when you when you say that to me, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you I, I totally get it. I know exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. when you're you're approaching it. Um kind of as a sports photographer. So for for Brady, who's yeah. sitting here who's not a photographer and all okay. and a lot of the other people who who would be listening, okay. what is it, what does that mean? Okay, so uh so um you know generally with action and there's of course um there's times where you, you do things differently, but I, I normally want the player coming towards me. I'm trying to get their eyes, I'm trying to get their emotional expression. I'm, I'm picking the shot that I feel like has the most emotional intensity in the faces. Um, I'm also changing my perspective to like photographing from a lower angle so that it gives more of a dramatic effect to the pictures. It makes the uh, players look more imposing and larger. Uh, I'm usually uh, photographing with a shallow depth of field so that way there's, there's more focus on the subject and the, and the um, background is more out of focus where the uh, anything around this, the story around the player is, um, is, isn't taking the foreground. Uh, and those are the main things looking for faces, looking for, you know, the emotion, um, looking for a proper composition, uh, and, um, something that looks more like a portrait than just a picture that someone took of, you know, some action. Yeah. Something that, that you and I have talked a lot about from time to time and, you know, is really important to me is, is, well, two things. One, shoot with intention, know what you, know what you want to get, 
and right. and and do things to help yourself to try and get those those mm-hmm. images. And two, backgrounds matter. Right. Um, right. I see that in so many so many photographers that that they don't even think about what their background is. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that, and, that, and those are all those little things like when I, you know, when, when, when you talk about, you know, physically laying on your stomach on the sidelines, right. You know, I get, I get people give me a hard time all the time. Yeah. Laying on yeah, my stomach on the side. Now there are places I can do that and places I can't. In Lincoln, right. we don't have we don't have enough room in the end zones for me to lay on my stomach. Oh, so okay. I'll sit on my butt and hunch down as much as humanly possible. But right. when we go other places like Illinois and things like that where they got mm-hmm. a ton of room in the end zones, yeah, I'll I'll be that weird guy down there, but just like you are yeah. laying on my I've stomach to try and get that that absolute lowest angle possible right. to get that I call it the hero angle. The hero angle. It, yeah, so it depends. Uh, it's, it really depends on the security at the stadiums where you're at. Um, I don't. I don't get bothered by it too much at Temple. Uh, I've done it at NFL games and it wasn't a problem. And I've done it at a couple of NFL games where they like immediately told me to get up. Like, don't ever do that again. So um, it depends on where you are. Uh, and it's funny because I'm. He's telling me to get up, and then the NFL films guy is down there on the, with a video camera on the ground. On right, a tri- right next to me, right, like, right. with a or with the camera on a tripod. Yeah, so yeah, um, and I understand the safety issues and everything like that. Um, yeah, like when I do high school games and things like that, like you know, mm-hmm. I'll physically like back up even another five yards behind the the end line, right, and and still hold the four hundred in my hand, but laying on my stomach, right. Yeah, everybody looks at me a like lot safer. Who's that dude over there laying down on the job? Right, yeah, people looking over there like, man, are you just like, uh, you relaxing over there? You want a lemonade or, you know what I mean, a sandwich? And they don't actually realize that it's a heck of a lot more work than if I was sitting on my butt. It, it really is because uh, not only uh, you have to be careful in the safety issues, but you're trying to stabilize a heavy lens down there. And um, you're also dealing with feet and legs that like are kind of um, more prominent now because you're uh, – down there on the ground but and I, I found pretty, myself having to get a pair, a pair of elbow pads yeah instead i was of knee thinking pads. about doing that i had uh i took a like a small yoga mat out there before but a lot of times i just just suck it up and do it well the eagles have uh, real grass on their field oh that, that uh so it's it's a little more comfortable than like that that uh the, you know the turf the field turf is horrible yeah. on your skin i wound yeah, up yeah, i wound right. up taking because i want because the new field turf is so soft now Mm-hmm. That I don't find myself needing those big, huge gel insert knee pads that I used to use. Yeah, back in the day, I, need, I just need yeah, I don't some, like the knee pads. I, I just need like something between my skin of my knee and and the turf because that turf needles into your skin over time, oh. and it gets oh really, yeah, it does. Yeah. It gets really I, uncomfortable. I and I found that same way with with my elbow. So what I did is I went and got a set of volleyball knee pads. Mm-hmm. That I can just easily throw onto my elbows or onto my arms okay. to prop up with that prop that lens up when I'm on my yeah. stomach, and then I don't get that that all that needling into my skin. Yeah, yeah. I, so a lot of times I just throw my jacket or a coat down or something. Yeah. Or, um, just something, and something, uh, anything. I can't do the knee pads. They uh, make me feel like I'm wobbling. I feel like I I get vertigo from them. <laughs> <laughs> like but my I, knees are like really always like uh, bother me after football season for like a, a couple of months. I'm not getting any younger either. So right, uh, dude, you're younger than me. Trust me. Yeah. 
and my uh it's my one 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 of my knees is like black <laughs> and the other <laughs> one is normal the other <laughs> one is, i don't think the skin's ever going to come back normal because i'm always you know when i am kneeling i'm kneeling on one knee oh that's right that well that goes yeah. with your your uh yeah your icon on so, your on sometimes your i do both but yeah but most of the time oh yeah my icon yeah that's right yeah that was the uh sid's daughter made that uh, logo for me she was 15 and uh, i loved it so i kept it i used it for everything that's funny yeah, yeah. oh yeah. gosh there was something else i wanted to talk about now i can't remember what it was well, the other thing too, uh, the other thing that we kind of left out is like the, the a big part of composition is um, the cropping, what you do with the picture. What after. you do with it after the fact, that's a good point. Right. Um, yeah, that's, so like, that's you and I have talked about that a lot in some Facebook groups and things, that that's literally knowing what to do with an Well, it's two things when the way I look at it is it's, it's one, being able to, when you're culling through your images, being able to see the potential in an image. Right. That other people might just overlook. Right. See and the picture within the picture. Yep. And then yeah. two, knowing how to how to crop it, how to process it, right. And do all of that correctly, um, is fifty percent of the game. Yeah. I I feel like that's that's the case because there's a lot of pictures that I have that are like, you know, people will find impressive that if they saw the original image, it wouldn't really you know, I mean, it was it's not that uh impactful initially. Right. You know, until I've cropped cropped into it and so. some and i've always been a big proponent of you know if crop the picture if cropping it makes it better crop it crop i don't it. care yeah i i care very little within reason you know within uh-huh. within technical reason i care very little about how much you have to crop it yeah me either like um the uh you know there's people that have to that work for certain um, kind of services where they have to worry about uh, ratios right that sort of thing and i i never really worry about ratios i'm just like i want it to look the best and um there's some times where i you know overcropped you know what i mean just to get the best picture and it works for like the web or anything like that uh, now with the cameras with the higher megapixels like the sony that you have and everything um it's a it's a whole new world because you can kind of pretty much crop almost anything. It's a whole new um, world of cropping. And, uh, I mean, and make it like, and still have a, a lot of uh, detail and, uh, and re- you know, a decent resolution image. Yeah. I um, mean, last night I was shooting a basketball game and where we I were. saw those were awesome from that. Uh, you shot from the, um, the, from the rafters, the, the uh, yeah, what yeah. They call it? the catwalk. Right? Yeah. From the yeah. catwalk up above. And it's very rarely that we get that perspective because they don't let us do it in Lincoln. We were up in Omaha last night. So I, uh, I, I, I spent an entire half of a basketball game shooting from the rafters to, tr- you know, to try and make something special because we yeah. don't get that opportunity very often. So um, I, I, right. took, I took full advantage of it. And, when, you know, getting back to the cropping thing, that's what made me think of it. As I was, as I was going through them on the second edit this morning – from the images last night, I myself overlooked one on deadline. Yeah, that when it, when I when I was going slower and I looked at it and I blew it up in Lightroom, and I cropped it and then I cropped it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it was one of those images where the guy's looking up through the hoop between the the between the spaces in the net. You could see his yeah. eyeballs, and I was like, "Holy crap! That oh wow! Yeah, how did I miss crazy. that one last night?" Yeah, we have a catwalk at Temple. I didn't realize that we had one there, and I, I want to try to utilize that. Yeah, you need to. Um, you need to. You'll. You'll really enjoy those shots after, after shooting a lot of basketball from baselines. 
I had to ask you about that though, because it's like in the center of the floor, right? So when you want to get stuff at on another court, you gotta point it toward to that direction. Towards which direction? Well, like if, if the the catwalk is put you in the center of the court, right? No, no. Like, our the way our catwalks are situated oh, you go up all there. Way around? I can I can go all the way around, but there's one there's one specific spot that you can on one of the catwalks that crosses right over the hoop. Okay. That I am literally looking straight down on the hoop. Oh wow. That's right. And cool. I can hang I, I used a couple different lenses, but I, at one point, um one of the images I was talking about, I was literally hanging my four hundred two eight wrapped around my wrist. <clears throat> you know, with my strap wrapped around my wrist three or four times, yeah, hanging oh, yeah, my four hundred two eight over the catwalk, um, using the tilt screen to yeah. to compose now, the you, with the four hundred up there. Uh, it it was was it? Did it ever feel like it was too tight? Um, yeah, of course there were times it was too tight, and I missed things because I was too tight. But then again, okay. you know, when you're you Would know, three hundred have been better or no? A three hundred might have been. I don't. I won't say better. I'll say a three hundred would be safer. Okay, I might try my three hundred. Um, I, I was, I was doing the one because it's. I had my one thirty five and my four hundred, and that's all okay. I took up with me. Okay. Um. So I was either shooting lo- looser so that I got the the whole key and I could yeah. make some art with that, or I was shooting ultra tight because, um, like I've talked to Brady several times about is you know, taking that Babe Ruth approach, which I'm either going to hit it over the fence or I'm going to strike out. Right, right, right. And yeah. I was looking to hit it over the fence last night. So yeah, yeah. I, I shot, that, I was, yeah, I was hanging that 400 over the, over the edge there and to make that image. Yeah, and I got, a, I got a couple of them I was really happy with. And, you know, when you hit it with the 400, you don't have to crop it as far. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, those, those look great. I was going to ask you about those. I knew I would talk to you today, so. Yeah, so yeah, if you can get up there. You'll you'll like. I'd say if you're going to make the effort to go up in into the into the catwalks, uh-huh. take it all with you, because you won't know. Take yeah. the seventy to two hundred. Take the three hundred. Take the four hundred. Okay, okay, you don't know what you're going to want. The worst thing you, right. you can do is get up there. Right, and, go, and then wait. damn, yeah. I wish I would have brought the three hundred. Yeah. Or no, damn, I, I definitely. Uh, I wish I would have brought the seventy. Route. I wish I would have had a seventy to two hundred lot with me last night. Cause That's what I was going to ask you. I was. I thought that would have been the one you would have took up. It would have been. It would have been nice. I was. I, I was hoping to do something a little bit different. But anyways, that's just what I had with me. But a seventy to two hundred yeah. would have been nice because then you could have shot wide and zoomed in, and you you would have had some a few more choices. But mm-hmm. all said and done, I, you know, I'm happy with the take. Cool. From last night, cool. so yeah, I'm there. I'm gonna try to do it uh, at the game tonight. I don't, I don't know. I have to talk to somebody there. The one guy that did go up there, and they were all like super scary about it. So well, usually when you're up in the catwalks, you want to um, you want to take all your lens hoods off and okay. like oh, don't have any yeah. don't have any glasses on your head or even a hat. Or right. any of that. I, I mean, I usually I have it. I take it all up with me, but I take it off before I start hanging over the mm-hmm. edge of the catwalk because the last thing you want to have happen is, you know, oh, you no. be that Live guy that ESPN and your lens is falling down on somebody's head. Right. <laughs> yeah. That you don't you don't want to wind up being being no. that guy. So no, no, not that guy. And then, like I said, I I I wrap my my camera strap around my wrist until it's there's absolutely no way it could 
it could go right. anywhere. Um, yeah. And a lot of a lot of places like like um, the you can actually set up a remote up there. That's now that's a lot more. Uh-huh. It's a lot more work intensive. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To that set up the right. remote and and have all that set up. You got there's a lot more safety cables and mm-hmm. and double triple backups involved in that. Yeah, but, that would uh, be that would but, be rough. You know, for what you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, not not too dissimilar from from my approach when I do things. Right. I, you could totally go up there and and sacrifice a half. Oh yeah, that's what I plan on doing. I said I'll, I'll take a whole half and just shoot. Okay. You know, because um, they, you know, like. So I do every game for the uh, basketball, football, and men's and women's basketball games. The other sports they have me do, like what they call Olympic sports, they'll have me do like two, maybe three. Right. A year. So they, you know, it's the same players on the team. So they end up with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of the pictures of the same players. So definitely could sacrifice a half to get something. And I'll say, and, um, let your, uh, like from that angle, let your facial recognition do its thing. Okay, yeah, I use that anyway. I use the yeah, so do I. But with um, my R six, of course. Yeah, I'd say I'd say let the facial recognition do its thing because okay. any picture you're going to want, they're going to be looking up at it. So right. you're going to get lots of faces, and they're all okay. they're all more or less on the same same plane. Okay. Um, because they you know when they when they jump into the air or positioning yeah. or fighting for you know boxing out, fighting for space for a rebound. Right, they're you know within a few inches. They're all mm. their heads are all about the same height. So no matter so what face, no matter what 8. face your camera grabs, it's it's going to be good. You didn't have any problems at two point eight then. No, well, there were some. Okay, there there was some. Okay, um, but I don't know. It worked when it needed to work. Gotcha. That facial recognition software these days and these cameras yeah, is unreal yeah it's really it works yeah. it works way more than it doesn't work yeah no i know i, just, I don't i rarely get out of focus shots anymore with the uh, r cameras and it's not even the top of the line right the line at all. you haven't gotten an r3 yet uh no I, I didn't really see the advantages other than getting the 10 extra frames which i don't feel like i necessarily need i don't know i used to say that too <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that it's, I won't come into a situation where I'll have a, a more perfect frame with that, but I, I figured I'll just wait until they put out the R1, and then I'll have all the megapixels and the true frames. And true, you know what? And, uh, you know what I've been having fun with lately is the, um, you know, with with 20 plus frames a second is making gifs after the fact. Oh yeah, the gifs. Yeah, I yeah. haven't done much of that at all yet. No, they it, th- th- those are fun. Those are fun yeah, to do yeah, because now you've got you've got enough frames per second to make it actually feel a little oh little yeah fluid with twenty with twenty I definitely have well, you know what uh, that was the other thing I forgot to mention too is um and I guess this happens anyway when you know obviously uh, Matt Rule went to the um, Panthers and he uh, I think he had almost eight or nine guys from from that same Temple team that he uh, had at Temple at a uh, at Temple on the uh, Panthers. Uh, and a lot of them are still on the roster now. So I thought it was pretty cool because I think he was, the, you know, you have to have your uh, head, have a coach that recruited you in high school and then brought you to the college. Your and pro coach. Been, you know, your pro coach, yeah. It's pretty cool to have. So um, I'm sad that I never got down there to do a Panthers game. 
Uh, it was always something else like on my schedule or whatever, so I, I never got to do it. It would have been a little bit of a haul for you. Yeah, and y'all have like a pretty cool game. I think uh, it's Colorado is the first game. Yeah, Colorado all of a sudden just got really interesting around here. Yeah, so now it's where Matt Rule against Deion Sanders, which is like crazy. Yeah, it's going like, to be. Man, I, w- I wish I could do that game, but we have a, a Temple has a game against Rutgers that day. So It's going to be super um, interesting to see. Uh, it's going to be the. Um, it's got to be. The game of recruits. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a game day game, but it's going to be definitely interesting. And it'll be their first game as coaches or teams too. So I hadn't thought about game day. Who else is on the schedule yeah. that day? I don't know. If there's nothing else that's really interesting, where else would they? Where else would game day go? That would be more interesting than that game. I, I don't know. It's well, it's tough because I think I don't even know if it really depends. Like Nebraska, technically, they open the season with Minnesota on the road at Minnesota the week before, and then Colorado's got a a, a tough game. I can't remember escaping me off the top of my head, but like that is still going to be the marquee. I mean, like, what if they both play well in their first game? If they both play well, get in the first wins, game, and then. I think yeah. it gets it gets somebody there. If it's big noon kickoff or college game day, right. somebody one, Fox, ESPN, whoever, somebody's TV crew is going to be in well, Boulder if, for that. Yeah, I mean, if you're the producer for those games, who doesn't want to go to the Rockies for the week? And be- I mean, you're not going to get snowed in. It's going to oh, be in beautiful early time September. I'm, like, I'm so looking forward to that game. Yeah. What was the, Nebraska? How do they do this year? What we were four and eight. Four, four and eight. They finished okay. up. Um, okay. They had the the win over North Dakota um, early on, and then uh, two consecutive wins, Indiana and Rutgers, and then they had that losing streak throughout Big Ten season, but then capped the year with the win over Iowa, which I think kind of salvaged a lot of um, spirits, and right. then. The very next morning, Matt Rule was named uh, head coach, and then they inducted or introduced introduced him, him on Monday. Introduced him the following Monday, so it was a pretty a pretty busy weekend in okay. in in lieu of a season like of a real season finale on the weekend or a conference championship yeah. game this past weekend. They I, they got excitement. Much, yeah, I feel like Matt Rule is going to come right in, and in a couple of years, y'all will be like a uh, you know a, a eleven and one or whatever season. You know, I think he's going to do the same magic that he did at Temple and at Baylor. Um, you know, that I think that for most people that kind of sealed it, what he did was able to do at Baylor. Because people were, you know, that was a place where people were like, why is he going to Baylor? You know, mm-hmm. um, why would he go to that place? Is they had all kind of problems there off the, you know, the stuff that was happening yeah, at was Baylor. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And, and, and the team, you know, just, and I can't remember what his record was. I think, you know, they had a losing season and then he got a bowl game and and they were, and then after that, they were playing for the conference title, right? Yeah. Well, and then yeah. his fi- his final year, year three, they were that shoestring tackle away from making the college playoff. That's right. Yeah. That one. Crazy. And that's when I was like, okay, this guy is special. Yeah. Well, if but, you, can... you know, it's funny because like when he was at Temple, his first year, people were calling for him to get fired and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> There's um, always somebody. It's crazy. Yeah, all the idea. I mean, God's sake, I was just having a conversation this morning. There are people, there are actually people in the world calling for Ryan Day's job. Wow. I mean, the dude has lost two games in two years and two and in the playoff twice. And there are people out there. And that's why I'm like, dude, you need to shut up about Nebraska fans. Because are you kidding? I'm in Philadelphia, so you know how Philly fans are. (laughs) You You know, they were like, they, I think. 
oh man, it's been games where we won and they were like, we should have got more points. And you know what I mean? It's just crazy stuff. So, and then, you know, with the Eagles and everything, but, um, yeah, so I, I'm just, I, I know I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm really, uh, excited actually to see what he does there. And then also to see what, um, Deion Sanders is able to do at Colorado, you know, um, too, so that's a whole nother topic, but <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right, Z. Well, I know you had another another appointment you had to get to here shortly, so I wanted to thank you for coming on and oh, you're talking welcome. a thank little you. Matt Rule and some photography and yeah. Sorry, I couldn't give you more information on Matt personally. Um, but no, you know, I just I, I thought you you're the you were the first person I thought of that had like at least some sort at least another photographer I knew that had some sort of first-hand exposure to him cross even paths if, with yeah. him even if it was nothing more than observing him from afar um right you know like i said in the beginning i, I trust photographers a lot when it comes to reading body language and and things like that right so. and the team he just bring the team with that team was so tough i mean it was these guys just seemed like grown men you know what i mean right um the type of mentality they just seemed like grown men and it's, it's changed a bit since he left but it was just, they were just different, you know, they were just different. It's, but the toughness thing is a big, it's big one, on, um, on his, um, uh, agenda, you know, with it, with in terms of the type of players he wants to produce. Awesome. But, uh, yeah. I'm I think that's going to fit in really how well. He does down there. You know, I never thought I'd be looking at Nebraska or Colorado games, but now <laughs> watching, you know, nothing wrong with Nebraska or Colorado, but you know, sure. Um, I'm always here in Philly, and I, don't, I never was really uh like I said, I never watched college sports much at all. Um, strangely, I started playing uh, NCAA football game like, a couple of years before I got into sports photography. So, like, I don't know, maybe I was learning on the game or something like it, that. It was preparing me. It helps. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks a lot for inviting all right. me on. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you later, bud. Okay, thanks. All right, take nice care. Nice meeting you, too. Nice meeting you. All right, thanks. So uh, right towards the end there, he, he, Zamani hit it on it a couple times, and uh, and 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 it, it circles back to that point that I come back to a lot of 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 I wanted to see Nebraska uh, Nebraska coaching staff return to that the uh, the basic idea of building better young men, and the football will take care of itself. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it really seems to be kind of a, a constant thread throughout Matt Rule's career, uh, not only as a head coach, but kind of just the way that he approached life. Um, and from what I've learned by calling some people, doing some background stuff for the magazine, doing a feature story on kind of his background and stuff. I, th- I think it's, it's, he's, he's good at selling what he is right. selling, but it's authentic. Right. It's, it's, it, it, he's one of those guys that, and I've, I've come across several of those people in my life so far where, where you hear him, you hear him talk, and you're, you know, the skeptic in me. The first thing through my brain is, oh, that's really good shtick. Yeah, that's a really good sales pitch, right? That's a really good shtick. And then the more, the more and more you interact and listen to him, you start to realize, oh, maybe that's not a shtick. Maybe that's just who he is or she. But you know what I mean, right? Um, and I'm, I'm starting to, and after talking to people like Z and and other people who have have had interactions with him and known him you kind of you kind of get that that's who he is i mean even you know you listen to scott shanley's rants they those rants still jive with what we're seeing 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I can see how the pro player wouldn't really gel with what, with who he is and what he's selling. But it's still, it it's still, like, to use one of Matt's words, it's still all in alignment. Yeah. You know, what we're hearing is what we're seeing is, is what we're getting seems to be all in alignment right now. And, you know, it's, I think that's one of the reasons that, that all the former players I talked to, even some of them who are reluctantly on board, um, and it's kind of where where I was from the beginning, which was I don't see any big, huge, major red flags, so why not get on board? Yeah. Because what's the other option, to not be on board? Yeah. You know, and as a fan base, unless you're seeing big, huge red flags, you might as well jump on board because why not? I mean, he's he's been successful as a head coach at the college level at Temple and Baylor, both places that I think college football success hasn't been as consistent or as sustainable. And I think where he comes into Nebraska, granted, not as successful over the past six, even back to ten years probably, as it has been in the past. But I would I would argue, and one could argue, it's better fit for success now than Temple was at the time, or Baylor was. Oh my God! Yeah. When he walked into it. Oh my God! He's not he's not walking into the complete shit show that 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 Baylor was. Mm-hmm. You, you know, scholarships gone and all, that whole thing. Right. You're not walking into a almost a complete vacuum that Temple was. Right. Right. And now, granted, he got to because it was a vacuum, he got to build it his way from the ground up. But here he's walking into a place with almost endless resources, endless fan support, and finally an administration that's on board with football success. Yeah. And an athletic director that, by all appearances, knows how to get where we, we want to go. So why not jump on board? Yeah. I, well, and I think that that mean, I think that meant a lot to, to Matt rule. Um, uh, he, he had gotten NFL offers before the Carolina Panthers. And I think that the timing was just right to jump there and who doesn't want a new challenge. And it worked to some extent for a while. I mean, the Panthers weren't the worst team. He wasn't fired within before the first year was up like some other NFL co- or college turned NFL coaches have right. been. Um, things kind of caught up to him. And I think that there's just a basic element of the game is played a little bit different. You're not able recruiting at the NFL level and like roster building is different at the college level. And it just isn't, it's, it's not the same. Right. And I think that that kind of caught up with him, but it's just, you step out here to he, and he admitted that he could have taken TV money. He could have taken a, a, other jobs. He had other offers, but Initially, and Trev said this was guy 1A. This was candidate 1A. He had his eyes on Matt, um, and Matt was fired about uh, just under a month after. Right. I was going to say, it was his it, name started popping up. Actually, his name started popping up before he was fired. Yeah, yeah, fair. But it was, and they, they connected, and it seemed like they were, they were going to work things out, but then they hit that impasse through contractual talks, Panthers got involved in the buyouts and everything like that. And it seemed like it wasn't going to work. And Matt rules told us, you know, kind of got bummed out. Like I said, damn, you know, I thought that was really going to work. And then Trev said, look, this is my guy. We're, we're, I, I don't want plan B. I want to make sure I exhaust every resource to try to get plan a. And 
Matt Rule said, once Trev came back out, I was like, yep, I'm, I'm in. I want to be here. I want to do this. Because Trev is not only a football guy, but he's a structurally sound guy. Look at the things that have already kind of come to fruition under right. Trev. There's a lot more um, the, the fuzzy edges or the rough edges to things have been beveled out, yeah. even just with the Go Big project and everything. And now he's built up that infrastructure and structurally sound foundation to a new head coach to build upon. And Matt Rule, the rebuilder of programs, comes in and sees that and says, I can work with this. I can work with mm-hmm. Ted Carter. I can work with Ronnie Green. I can I can work with this and build upon this. And I, I think that that's a very exciting aspect about I think all that's one of and I, and I don't remember if we were talking about it or who I was talking to about it but I think that's one of the I think that was one of the key reasons why he reluctantly brought Scott back mm-hmm. for for an, for another year because Trev wasn't done cleaning his own house yet and he knew if he was going to have to go out and make a big hire um, he needed to finish cleaning his house. Because I think, as I read between the lines of what he says and what he hasn't said, that when he walked into that administrative structure, um, he wasn't happy with the way it was structured and built, and, and it was a little bit of a mess. And I think, I think he wasn't quite done putting his own house in order yet. And he knew that he... he that that was going to need to be done before he could go out and make a big hire. So he reluctantly, you know, restructured Scott's contract and said, all right, we'll give this a go. Brings Mickey in as a backup plan, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if the Mickey was the backup plan, but when Mickey present was presented, he went, I'm sure he went, Oh, if I need to, we could probably go there. And it worked out and, and it worked out that way. And we all know what happened, but um, so, you know, Trev got his, got his house in order. Then when it came time to go make that hire, he, like Matt, like Matt said several times, and he beat it into the dirt, the whole idea of alignment, right? Mm-hmm. Finally, we've got the entire university administrative structure back on board with football because yeah. it's been gone and been such a shit show for so long. Yeah. Well, and I, I, <laughs> I think that there's an aspect of of finding out where the issues are or finding out where all the holes are. Um, but I wonder if bringing – it's really difficult to say in hindsight because I think people's feelings are still kind of raw to the Scott Frost era, but every, he was the guy. I mean, I still believe that Bill Moose would have probably gotten run out of Nebraska had he have not hired Scott Frost Oh, my God, time. yeah. And every and as Trev said in the September 11th announcement, everybody wanted it to work. They 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 had losing seasons, only losing seasons under Scott. But even in the 2021 year, so many one score losses, and which was the theme of the Frost tenure. But everybody thought they just need to get over the hump. They're so just close. Needs, they're, they're so, so close. close. They're they so can close. get there. Right. And then all of the the personnel changes, which I think was some sort of pressure that was Trev saying, look. We know how we. It seems like you're close, but we cannot afford to do this anymore. So they said, and it was kind of there. Mm-hmm. Okay, putting the pressure on Frost, and they do the structural changes, switch up the offensive coaching staff a little bit, bring in Mark Whipple, bring in Brian Applewhite, bring in a couple of new guys, and I think 
it was an effort to try to say, hey, we're going to try to win. Even Trev said himself, there's no real logistical evidence to prove that this is going to work. But they had faith in Scott to say, hey, you are a Nebraska guy. We know how you, we know you know how important this is. Let's try it. They come back, and obviously, up right off the bat, you know it's not working. But those first three weeks and the pre, this preseason before it allows you to identify issues right. and identify possible leaks to the boat to where, you know, you basically just say, okay, we've got this former Nebraska quarterback, the guy who knows the culture to come in, who's been an assistant in the SEC and done all of these things that says, okay, we trust you to at least captain the ship for the rest of the interim season. And then meanwhile, they are doing that national search to try to find the right, right. person for it. And I think that it's, to Trev Alberts' credit, they kept it real quiet. They kept it real safe and for potential candidates and for those who are interviewing for it while also not doing a disservice to those already in the coaching staff and already at Nebraska yep. throughout the year. And in the end, I think he got candidate 1A and he got who he was looking for. Okay, now we get, I, we're going we're gonna to jump to the, the, the portion here that I've been looking to forward to all week, which, which I kind of... I'm, I'm loosely calling the, the the Brady Oltman's thought experiment. Yeah. I asked you to prepare another thought thought experiment for the week because I know you love doing that and I love engaging in that too. So let's hear it. What's this week's thought experiment? Well, it's related a little bit to Matt Rule, the idea of the the program rebuilder, um, and he didn't find success right away at either Temple or Baylor. I mean, he's the first coach to take a in his first year, we'll get one win, and then within three years, give uh, one loss in a season. Um, and knowing Nebraska's history now, six straight years without a bowl game, I the idea I pose to you, with this transfer portal, player retention, staffing retention, which um, as of recording has not been completed yet, the majority of his staff has been filled out, or at least the 10 full-time spots have been, but we don't know the complete look of it yet. How long... Or at least, what is what's the barometer for immediate turnaround in in year one? At at what point do Husker fans kind of throw throw up a little caution based upon NFL experience coming off the back of a lackluster NFL career as a head coach and knowing six straight you know bowlless seasons? I'll pose it to you. If Nebraska wins three games again next year, how? what is the alarm level and what is the idea as Matt Rule gets that foundation and that idea built of what he wants to build? Is it three wins or is it somewhere around there? I think... You're saying if they only win three games next year, I'm throwing it out there. If they only, if Nebraska only wins three games next year, I personally, are you asking me personally or what I think the fan base is going to react? I'll I'll give it to you twofold. Do okay, you, so for for me personally, if he only wins three games next year, I would say mild concern, but still sitting on the bus. I think by the time we go through the next nine months of hype and getting excited, if they only win three games next year, I think the fan base is going to be far more concerned than I am. Yeah. 
I think I think with the because we've touched on it before the with the transfer portal nowadays, which he didn't have at Temple and Baylor, with the transfer portal, um, you sh- in theory should be able to turn a ra- turn a team around faster. Yeah, um, because you can. Because it used to be you had to go to JUCO to find those guys to help with the quicker turnaround. And he seems to be not so big on the JUCO route right, right now. Because for for quicker turnaround, you want experienced guys. Mm-hmm. You want to grab a guy from, what did I hear this morning, Texas A&M. Yep. And you want to get those guys that aren't happy at Alabama and Georgia. And, you know, they're not happy being second string. Third string, third third string defensive lineman at Georgia is probably pretty freaking good. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that kid, and that's what the transfer portal is doing right now. I mean, it's almost taken the the. Remember when they when they reduced the scholarship numbers and it kind of spread the talent out more because a little bit more parity. you know right because kid could go play could get a full time scholarship here, right, yeah. and play today versus coming here and not playing for another two and a half years. Yeah. Right. Um, And I see the transfer portal as diving deeper in like spreading it out even more. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I had a thought the other day. Did I answer your thought experiment first? Okay. I had my own thought experiment the other day that are the days Within college football, now I'm going to take like the Georgia, Alabamas, the like really super top level, right? Um, uh, kind of out of this equation, but they can tangentially might be affected by it too. Are the days of a small gap between your one and two quarterback gone? Right? Because a super talented number two can transfer and go somewhere else. Or like we saw in Michigan, a number two supplants a number one. That former number one is going, what the heck? I'm out of here because I can play somewhere. Do we have to get used to the idea that on just about every team, there's going to be a noticeable jump between number one, QB number one, and QB number two? Well, I think you saw it with Nebraska this year. Right. And I'm – what got me thinking about that all season was was the transfer portal, right? The really talented number two isn't going to be happy just waiting for QB1 to get injured yeah, to get his shot or for QB1 to fail to get his shot. You know, if he goes an entire season and doesn't hardly see the field, but this team over here wants me to start, I'm out of here, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, Casey Thompson. Yeah, because it's... Kate, I mean, you know... I just wonder if if we're going to have to get used to that now that number two quarterbacks are going to, like truly talented number two quarterbacks in your system are going to be hard to find. Yeah, and I think you might be right, um, at least to a certain extent on that. I think players players understand development. I think everybody wants to play. If you're not going to get game reps um, and you want to be better, I think a lot of guys say, well, I'll go you know, FCS or I'll go – somewhere along the line to get game reps and game experience. And I, I'm transfer portal and NIL kind of get lumped together because they're both relatively new. And I've kind of got not a nuanced opinion of either, but I think 
because they're so new, I think you're seeing now the the hype and the most craze of it, and it'll die down after a little bit because you look at the transfer portal and initially, and forty some percent of those who transferred were placed. And last year it was down to twenty something. I think there are enough kids who they enter the transfer portal with the same intentions of I can I'm good enough to play at X place, but if you're if you lose out the number one job at say Florida State um, receiver quarterback wherever it is and you think okay well I can go play somewhere else well a lot of these coaches if they want to win right away maybe they'll look at a, at a quarterback at a transfer quarterback but there are other ones that say well I, I've got this four-star quarterback I can develop here and I can give him game reps I'm not going to you know get in this new guy who wants to start right away and if he isn't a shoe in to start he's right. he's you know, toxic in the locker room then some of these guys are going to look at Minnesota Mankato as their best option. No offense to Minnesota Mankato. That's just not where the, that. That's not where they hope want, to be. Exactly. And I think, I think what, you know, like, like you, you said, the, the initial hype of the transfer portal was like, Oh, shoot, grab them up, grab them up, grab them up. And I think over time, more and more place, more and more places have seen that. Oh, well he wasn't starting for a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, we brought him in and we found out why he wasn't starting at Florida State. Right. Yeah. And so I think people, I think you're right. Coaches are good. Like that it's going to, that's going to soften and, and, and die down a little bit, that hype about it. You're, I think they're good. The, the portal is going to be a place where you really go look for that gem. Yeah. Right. That, like I said, that, that second or third string D lineman at Georgia might be might be better than what I got today. I look at it like MLB free agency. Yeah. You're you're going to get a, a Justin Verlander or someone who, like a Bo Nix, who declares for the transfer portal, or um, right. Caleb Williams or Casey Thompson to a certain extent. You get these, these big-name guys that are, or even Jordan Addison, that star players who just didn't, like or didn't gel with or for whatever reason they want to play on the premier stage and rightfully so and then you you're one of these premier programs and think well do i need of a guy you know like the mets just signed justin verlander in this offseason and they're going to carry on you're you're new york mets you know you're a big market team but you need a big market arm justin verlander is available it's the same kind of mentality that I see that a lot of teams are taking on with the portal, and I do think it will die down eventually. It's here, and it's going to be something that coaches will have to deal with, but I think that now all the fervor and, like, the, oh, this is college football now, like, it is, but, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to recoil. And I, Yeah, I think it's going to recoil some, and I also think I won't be surprised if it – if college, you know, there's going to be some fervor of the transfer portal and blah, blah, blah. And yes, you're, it's always going to be a tool for rebuilding and rebuilding quickly. But I think you're, as it, as we go through the cycle, you're going to see a return to, you know, still development matters. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, one of the things I've enjoyed the most, as much as I kind of really don't like Harbaugh, but I have to respect Michigan in that I'm, I'm loving seeing the return to just power football. Yep. Like you are not going to win and you're not just going to outscore everybody. I mean, that was fun. We did that for the last decade, all these spread, throw it around the yard offenses, but you're seeing the return across, not across college football to 
we got to have the bigs. We got to control the line of scrimmage. And we got to, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust it. Yeah. And and I'm loving that, to tell you. that I'm just loving seeing the return to, to you know, I love seeing a great six-and-a-half-yard run. Oh, man, Utah. And Utah's great. <laughs> Utah was so much. I mean, and I saw it all over Twitter. That's why I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to pile on and say the same thing everybody else is. But everybody was saying the same thing. And I, I love to see that, you know, and that granted, most of the people that recognize it are my age because we remember what a truly awesome, awesome um, run game looked like. So, all right. Well, um, at that point, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up Sounds good for, to me. The, for this week. Thanks, everybody, for coming in and listening to the eye test. I'm Eric. This is Brady. We had a lot of fun this week. Take care. Yeah. A Herd at Sports Network production.